Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 40, and this marks one year of podcasting. Yes, I started podcasting in August 2014. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. But before I do, I might just mention a few of the other things that I'm going to be talking about in this podcast. In the week, somebody wrote me a beautiful email asking me a few questions about unschooling. And one of those questions was, does your life have a rhythm? So I want to talk about that, maybe a little bit about what a typical day is like in our family. I've also got a couple of those tips for joyful unschooling. Uh, that I might share. If you listened to last week's podcast, you would have heard the woeful tale of how I had a bit of an accident with my computer and I lost my podcast. I had put together a podcast of what I hoped were helpful tips for joyful unschooling and I still haven't got my computer back yet. It's still at the repair shop getting a new screen. So I don't know if that podcast actually auto-saved, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to share those tips, one here and one there, I think, sprinkle them into my other podcasts. So today, yes, I would like to just to sprinkle a couple of those tips in amongst my typical unschooling day. Like usual, I have a few resources to share, some to do with murder. So I hope you'll listen and enjoy this podcast. As I said, I have been podcasting for a whole year now. In August 2014, I went to the Catholic Digital Media Conference in Sydney. I was asked to give a talk about blogging. And while I was there, I saw a presentation by a person called Lindsay, who is a podcaster. He and his sister Caroline have a podcast called What the Faith. And Lindsay was telling us about his first year of podcasting. Well, I was really inspired by his talk and I came away and I thought, could I be a podcaster? I obviously had been a blogger. I tried a bit of vlogging, but could I make podcasts? So the unschooler in me rose to the challenge and I decided that I would give it a go. Learn what podcasting was all about as I made podcasts, which has been a wonderful experience for me, but I don't know, it might have been a bit of a frustrating experience for listeners as they have listened to all my mistakes over the past year. Hopefully I'm getting a little bit better now after 12 months of podcasting. Well, it's certainly been an enjoyable experience for me. Now, I remember my first episode. I recorded it in my bedroom with the kids Walking past my bedroom door, there was a lot of background noise. I did have an external mic, but not a very good one. And I didn't even know such things as pop filters existed when I made that episode. I soon discovered later on when I listened to the audio that there were a number of popping noises that I guess is the pressure of my voice against the microphone. I did a little bit of research and discovered that what I needed was a pop filter, and I discovered I could make one of my own out of a coat hanger and an old piece of stocking. So that's what I did, and that was my pop filter for quite a few episodes. The very first episode 
had no editing done upon it at all. I had put a piece of music at the beginning, a piece of music at the end, and just uploaded it to Podbean and hoped for the best. Yeah, I was really happy with what I'd done. I got very excited. I wanted to share my very first podcast with my family. So I said, hey, kids, come and sit down and listen to me. I've made my very first podcast. Would you like to listen? And so the girls all gathered around and I I played it. And Jim Rose said, Mom, you're using your other people voice. And then I got very embarrassed about the whole thing. Well, perhaps I didn't sound very natural at all in that very first episode. And then I began to wonder if it was good enough to share with the world. Perhaps I should delete my episode. And I was going to do that. And then I thought about the example that that would show to my children. At the time, Sophie was also interested in podcasting. And if I deleted my podcast because I didn't think it was good enough, what would that teach her? I think we have to be prepared to take risks, to try things out, not to worry about the opinions of others. Otherwise, we just won't learn. And we also may miss out on many enjoyable experiences. Because, yes, I did enjoy making that first episode, regardless of the quality. And maybe if I dwelt too much on what other people would think of that podcast, I might have stopped podcasting then and there. I think I probably would have if I deleted it, because nothing would have been good enough. So over the last year, I've kept returning to podcasting, making more and more episodes and hopefully getting a little bit better as I've gone along. I've got a really good microphone now. Imogen and I bought a nice professional home recording studio, little booth and a professional microphone and a professional pop filter. So my old piece of stocking and coat hanger is no longer in use. That's been abandoned. It was good at the time, but I really love my new pop filter. It does a much better job. Along the way, I've also learned a little bit about editing the audio to improve the quality of the audio, to make it sound better for other people to listen to. So every week now, I do a little bit of editing. So I have learned to use some of the functions on Audacity, like the normalizer, the compressor, hard limiter, various functions like that to improve the quality. Listening to my own voice has been a funny experience. I don't think many people like the sound of their voice. And it's always a bit of a shock when we do hear our voice as a recording, because we never sound how we imagine we sound. I think I've got used to the sound of my recorded voice now. I guess it's my real voice, because the voice in my head isn't how everybody hears me. And though I have got used to the sound of my voice, I'm still battling with things like my grammar and my ums and my ahs, and the way that I could be saying something and then change my mind halfway through the sentence. And so I interrupt myself, and my sentences aren't always full. I could be embarrassed by my grammar. Sometimes when I'm listening to my recordings, I think I sound pretty uneducated. I'm not using the right tense or the right verb for my subject. And then I'm kind to myself because I say, well, most people probably talk like I do in conversation. We just don't notice it. People talk very fast. 
we change our minds about the things we're saying, we backtrack. And in a podcast, everything has to be perfect straight away. We don't get a chance to go back and re-say things. And this is what I'm trying to do when I do go back and start my sentences again, or I say an um or an ah while I'm thinking on the spot, or I use the wrong grammar and don't notice till later on. Have my podcasts been successful? I don't dwell too much on stats, but yeah, I think people are listening. And I think a lot of the reason for that is that there aren't many podcasters podcasting about unschooling. I don't have much competition. Yeah, there's a few people around that I know of, but it's not like blogging about homeschooling where there's thousands and thousands of people all competing against each other for some readers. If you put the word unschooling into the search engine on iTunes or Podbean, very few podcasts come up, and I always do come up. So that's a real big advantage to me, regardless of whether my podcasts are worth listening to or not. Maybe some people listen to them because there isn't anything else around. More people listen to my podcasts than read the accompanying blog post. And that has been very interesting. I think that podcasting is actually more popular than blogging. A lot of people seem to like listening to things on the go when they're traveling when they're out and about, when they're walking, when they're doing the housework. And I guess reading a blog post means you've got to sit at your computer. So there's some advantages to podcasting. But the main thing I think about when I'm rating the success of my podcast is what I have learned and have I enjoyed myself. And yeah, I have learned a lot and I have enjoyed myself tremendously. And I guess that's why I keep on going because I still think that I've got a lot to learn. You haven't quite got rid of all those ums and ahs. Haven't quite got all the technical problems uh, solved either. So I'm looking forward to another year of podcasting and I hope that you will listen along with me. Now back to the question that I was asked in the week. Does our family life have a rhythm? Now, I know why this question was asked, I think. If you do a little bit of Googling about unschooling and then start reading about other unschooling families' experiences, I'm sure you'll come across many families where the members tend to live their own individual lives within the family. They all go to bed whenever they feel like it, get up whenever they feel like it, eat whenever they feel like it, and not necessarily do those family members do things together. And our family isn't like that at all. We do have a rhythm to our day, and we do a lot of things together at the same time. So I share a few of those with you today. Do I get my children up in the morning at a certain time? No, I don't. Everybody gets up when they want to get up. But we all get up roughly the same time. Now, this is where my first tip for joyful unschooling comes in. When I wake up in the morning, I try and be very excited about the day ahead. We've got a whole day ahead to have adventures together, spend time with my girls. And I want to get up with that feeling of excitement and give that feeling to my family. 
One evening, Sophie said to me, before she went to bed, "Are you excited about tomorrow, Mum?" And I said, "Why? What's happening tomorrow?" And Sophie said, "Life." And she is right. Life is exciting, and enthusiasm is contagious. Yes, Sophie's enthusiasm for the next day—just thinking about it—made me feel excited about the next day as well. So when I get up in the morning, I want to ignite my children's enthusiasm for the day. I try and greet each child by name, and cheerfully as well. Ask them how they slept. Give them a hug. I guess what I'm doing is making. Uh, an effort to greet my children with love in the morning individually. Take the time to do that. Now, some of us might not be morning people. We might get out of bed feeling a little grumpy. Can't face the day without a cup of coffee. Don't talk to me until I've had my breakfast. I do know that we're all different. Some of us are naturally morning people, and some of us are not. But maybe it is worth it if. We make an effort. It does make a difference, I think, to the start of the day and how everybody feels. So we all get up roughly the same time each morning, and if it's one of the warmer months of the year, the girls and I will go running together before breakfast. We all sort of know what time we're going out the door, and we all make sure we're out of bed so that we don't miss out when people lace up their shoes and go out. When we come back. Someone makes breakfast. We do the shower routine, get ready for the day, do our chores, and then we gather for some prayers together before we get on to the exciting work of the day. Now, I don't make my children come and pray with me, but everybody always arrives when I announce that it's time to gather in the family room. Yep, invite, don't force, but they have never refused. It's just one of those nice family times in the morning, doing something together, start our day off right, and after we pray together, we usually have a bit of time to talk about the day ahead. Who's going out? What should we have for dinner? Does anybody need any particular help? It's a good time of day to touch base with each other. And then my older girls, Imogen, who is twenty, and Charlotte, who is seventeen, will disappear off. To their own room, so that they can get started on their uni work. Or if Imogen's got a music lesson, she might head out the door. The younger girls, Sophie, fourteen, and Gemma Rose, eleven, and I will head off to the family room, spend the morning together. Unless, of course, we're also going out for music lessons. I usually spend the mornings with my girls. That's a good time for me to do things with them, read books to them, listen to them read, watch things together, explore websites. Work on blogs, whatever we want to do. We usually do that together in the morning if we're home. We usually take a break mid-morning when everybody will appear for some coffee or tea or a hot chocolate. Maybe the younger girls will have baked something, and we can sit down and chat together for a few minutes, have something to eat and something to drink. We all meet up for lunch. We ask each other what we've been doing in the morning. Share some of the things that we've been doing. It's usually a very good time for some very interesting discussions. In the afternoons after lunch, we've usually all got individual projects that we want to work on. For example, I'm sitting here. It's afternoon after lunch, and I'm making my podcast. I think Sophie's gone off to make a screencast tutorial video. Gemma Rose is probably sitting somewhere with a book. I'm always available in the afternoons if people want to do things with me. 
In wintertime, we usually go for a run round about lunchtime together. Some days we're not at home. We go out, as I said, for music lessons, other appointments. Sometimes we just go out for an outing for a picnic somewhere. So we're not always home. Late afternoon, Imogen will start cooking dinner. She's our cook of the f- in the family. Sometimes Charlotte will take a turn, or even Sophie. I rarely cook these days. The girls like cooking, so that's okay. Oh, we might do a little bit of cleaning up. My husband comes home from school because he's a school teacher. Have dinner together. We always eat together. After dinner, we usually have choir practices or there's one evening a week of St. John ambulance uh, meetings for the younger girls. And if we're home, we'll probably gather in the family room, maybe watch a movie together. Jim Rose might play a computer game. We might just sit around with a cup of tea and chat together to have a bit of family time in the evening. Now, my girls don't have particular bedtimes, but the younger girls will probably head off to bed around about 8 o'clock, a little bit after, if they've gone out for the evening, nearer 9, 9.30. And I have no idea when anybody else goes to bed because I'm usually in bed long before my older children. They've learnt to balance their bedtimes with the need to get up early in the morning Children do know that if they have to be up early and they want to be alert and full of energy, especially if they're going running, then they better get into bed at a reasonable hour. I've never had to insist that my children get to bed because I know that they're not going to cope the next day. So that's a little bit about the rhythm of our day. I do know that some people, when they're contemplating unschooling, are a little bit worried that Their family life is going to become very, very different if they give children the freedom to, for example, go to bed when they like or to the way to spend their days. They're afraid that everybody in the family will start living on their own timetable and maybe everybody will not interact very well or there'll be people up in the middle of the night doing things when other people want to sleep. And maybe there are families that do find that sort of life suited to them. But our family is very different. Now, I forgot to mention my second tip for joyful unschooling to do with the routine of the day. It's to do with bedtime. Just like I like to greet my children cheerfully in the morning, I also like at the end of the day to take the time to say goodnight to them properly I make the effort to go and say goodnight to the younger girls in their bedroom, even though they're 14 and 11, they can easily put themselves to bed. But they do enjoy me getting up off the sofa and coming in and having a few words with them before they turn off the light and go to sleep. I kiss them properly, I give them a hug. We talk a little bit about the day. We talk about what we enjoyed doing that day. We might even talk about what we want to do the next day. And I tell my girls how much I enjoyed spending the day with them. I tell them how much I love them and how much I enjoy being their mother. These things only take a couple of minutes, but I do think they make a big difference. And if for some reason I'm really tired and I want to go to bed exceptionally early, then I go to bed and my girls will come and tuck me into bed when they're ready to go to bed They'll come in and lie next to me on the bed and we'll have our chat in my bedroom. And, yes, they tuck me in.
enjoy spending a lot of time with my younger girls, Sophie and Gemma Rose, doing all sorts of things together. But sometimes my older girls, Imogen and Charlotte, who are doing university work, they will come and join us as well, even though officially they're no longer unschooling. Though, of course, we always say that unschooling never finishes. And I guess that's why they do appear when there's something particularly interesting going on. They never miss out on an outing. They always want to come on picnics with us. If we're going to the library, you can be sure that they'll be there at the door with their bag of books as well. If we're going to watch a documentary, they want to know what we're going to watch because it might be interesting to them as well. Yeah, we can't assume that the older girls aren't interested in what we're doing because they might be. So the other day, we started watching a new documentary series, but before we actually turned it on, uh, Sophie said, I better go and ask the older girls if they want to join us. So she went off to their bedroom and said, we're going to be watching a BBC documentary called Catching History's Criminals, The Forensic Story. Would you like to join us? And Imogen and Charlotte's ears pricked up. Forensics, criminals. Yep, that sounds interesting. We'll be there in a minute. And so we have all gathered in the family room to watch this three-part series, Catching History's Criminals. A program like this, I find, is both fascinating and disturbing. It's disturbing because it focuses on the evil of murder. And I'm not quite happy with the idea that murder, somebody else's sufferings, are providing entertainment for us. Yeah, that's disturbing. But forensics is fascinating. The scientific methods that detect who did the murder are very, very interesting. And even though murder is a very disturbing subject, forensics is very fascinating. And I, this is why this three-part series has really captured our imagination. And I guess it is good to see that crimes will be solved, that murderers will be identified. Though it was a little bit disturbing in the series to see that some people that were executed for murders Maybe the scientific evidence wasn't as strong as people thought at the time. Anyway, we have been watching this series and it was very, very interesting. Afterwards, when we finished the last episode, I started doing a little bit of Googling like I usually do to see if I could find some related information, activities, websites, that type of thing, things that my girls might be interested in. I wondered if there was a lot of maths in forensics because I'm always looking for real-life examples of maths. And yes, I found quite a few articles about forensics and maths, and there is a lot of maths there. I actually found a blog of somebody who's writing maths units connected to real-life situations, and he does have some maths units called CSI, is that Crime Scene Investigation. Now, these maths units can be bought and downloaded as e-documents individually, or they can be downloaded as an e-book. I felt a little bit excited when I saw them. I thought, oh, look, maybe the girls will be interested in doing these maths units. Maybe I could show them, see what they think. So that's what I did. They're available on some teacher's uh, website, and if you signed up for the website, became a member of the website, you could have a sample 
of this particular CSI units. So that's what I did. Made up yet another username and another password. And before I knew it, I was downloading a CSI maths unit. I grabbed the girls. Come have a look at this, girls. What do you think? I don't think it went down very well. Not as well as I'd hoped. And I don't really think that they will do it. But just in case your children would be interested, I'll put the link in the program notes. I also found another couple of things. The Illustrated Guide to Home Forensic Science Experiments. It's a PDF lab book, how to set up your own forensics lab. And again, the girls sort of just looked at me, so I don't think that they'll be setting up their own lab. I wonder if they were like the third thing that I found, which is a CSI web adventure. It's uh, a computer game online. You learn about forensics as you're working your way through the levels of this game. It looked quite interesting, but... Really, I don't think that they're going to do that either, which brings me to the point of stewing. Sometimes stewing is very unsuccessful. Mothers get very excited. Oh, look, I've got this that might be interesting to you. You like that, so you might like this. And this is what I've done, gone from one thing and hopefully to another, thinking that my girls will be interested. But sometimes they don't reciprocate that interest. Our children have other ideas. And I have learnt just to let it go. Look, I might have spent an hour looking for these resources and the girls aren't going to use them. And maybe I'm thinking, look, they would get a lot out of this if they did. And maybe I feel I should push them a little to have a proper look at it. And of course, it would all look very good in my homeschool records book, wouldn't it? But I'm not going to push it with them. Put it in the unplanning Evernote notebook. It's there. If they want to go and have a look at it again, they know where to find it. I think we've got to get very detached about strewing and our own ideas. Yeah, present them. If they're refused, doesn't matter. There's always loads and loads of other things that we can try and tempt our kids with. But I'll put all the links to those things in the program notes, as I said, because all children are different. Maybe your children are the sort that would like to put together a forensics lab. And this PDF book might come in very, very handy. Now, we've had some wonderful discussions about forensics around the dinner table. We've also wondered if it is dinner table type talk, a little bit gory in places. It's probably a good thing that we don't have guests to dinner. What would they think of the Elvises sitting around the dinner table discussing murder and crime cases? We ended up talking about computer forensics the other night, which is another fascinating area. Even though we delete our files off our computers, they're never really gone. There are people that can investigate our computers and find out all sorts of things about us, even though we might think that we haven't left much evidence on our computers. Yes, our computer life, our online lives, are quite visible to people who want to know about us. And the other day I noticed that whenever I signed into a particular account, all the ads that came up in the sidebar were showing me clothes that I'd been looking at on particular clothes websites. Because you might remember, I've been doing a lot of online shopping, looking for the perfect wedding clothes for my son's wedding, which is coming up in just over two weeks' time. And yeah, glance into the sidebar, and I've been seeing particular dresses that I've had my eye on, having a look at. 
and they're tempting me to click on them and go back to the website, and I guess people are hoping that I will buy them. So I was telling my family about this, and Imogen was sharing how she's noticed the same thing on Facebook. Now I have an ad blocker on my main computer, so these ads are showing up on my tablet where I don't have an ad blocker. But in days gone by, when I didn't have an ad blocker, I also noticed on Facebook the type of ads were very much directed towards who I am and what I'm interested in. Facebook is watching me. Now it's rather scary to think that someone knows exactly what we're doing all the time online. And this led to a, a very funny conversation we had. I said to my family, well, I've been online doing an awful lot of research into forensics. Someone out there might be starting to wonder if I'm planning a crime. Am I going to murder someone? Am I looking for information about how I can get away with it? And then Imogen said, well, mum, the government will be putting you on a watch list. And we all laughed. And then Imogen added that she knows an author, or she knows of an author, who was placed on a government watch list after she did a lot of research about crimes as background for one of her novels. Yes, it was suspicious activity, and somebody started watching her and wanted some answers. I guess when they discovered that she was a novelist, uh, they stopped being alarmed and it all made perfect sense. And this brings me back to something else. One of the reasons, besides enjoying spending time with the family, that Imogen likes to come and watch documentaries with, with us is because all the information that she picks up could come in very handy when she's writing novels. She picks up lots of facts and ideas and background information, stores them all away, they might reappear sometime in a story. I think I have shared everything that I plan to share with you today. I'm coming to the end of episode 40. That in itself, I think, is rather remarkable. 40 episodes in a year. Yeah, I've persevered through the whole year. That feels really quite satisfying. I'd like to thank everybody that has supported me over the last year. I know that I have some friends who have loyally listened to all my episodes and stopped by my blog and, yeah, left a comment. It has been very encouraging. Thank you. I'd like to invite you to visit my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, especially if you would like to read the program notes. I'll add all the links to those resources that I mentioned in this episode. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that through iTunes, or you could follow it through Podbean, or you could just go to my blog where I embed the podcast episodes every week. So I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. As I said, thank you to anybody who has listened to the episodes of the past year. And I hope that I'll be back next week with another one. Until then, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Mm-hmm.